Father, God of heaven and earth, our Creator and our Redeemer, Thy children are gathered at Thy footstool for the one purpose of hearing Thy word spoken. We would like to express our appreciation for the messages which we have received, for the enlightenment which the Lord has brought to each one of us as we have sat at thy footstool. We are thankful for the dedication of these thy servants, and we would ask thy special blessing upon Pastor Ron Spear as he speak to us at this time. Father, we would see Jesus and hear him alone. And so we would ask that in mercy, visit our brother now with the outpouring of thy spirit. May he be hidden behind Jesus and let Jesus alone. See, and may we hear his voice speaking deep within our inmost souls. But as Jesus speaks, may each one be given a heart that will be obedient to the will of God as it is revealed. So therefore, Lord, bless the congregation too. And in all things here this today, we want Jesus to be lifted up. Have mercy upon us to that end, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Time has a way of going by us. It seems like we're about ready to begin and we're already ending. I'd like to encourage all the young people that are in a position that they can. Either come and attend the school at Hope International or at Marshalls there in Wichita and train yourself and come back to Britain and carry out an important work. As I've already talked to some of you, that it's important that we have young people that are trained how to carry on God's work in these final hours. You don't have to have a college degree. All you need is a willing heart and a willing mind to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do the teaching. Over the years, so many times, I never went on with my education beyond a bachelor's degree. I, uh, I felt that if I went on and took more education, I would be spending a lot of time debating, which I didn't want to do, or I would run the risk of getting my mind confused, and so I stayed in my study. And I have literally spent th probably thousands of hours looking through the spirit of prophecy and the Bible, and I am grateful for that opportunity. But uh, young people today, we don't need to go to college to be a witness to the power of God. <clears throat> and what you need to do is to go to some place where you can get the very basics and then go to your study and sit down and let the spirit of the Lord teach you what you need to know. Amen. Uh, as you is you realize that <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. 
I remember many times over the years I stood beside my desk sometimes three or four o'clock in the morning and sung the doxology all by myself for what God had taught me. And so I encourage young people especially and all of us together that we become ardent students of the word of God and the spirit of prophecy and that we let the, we let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Now, <clears throat> I would encourage you to... to is, I would encourage you to get a supply of this magazine, Truth For Today, and pass it out wherever you go. Go through your neighborhood. And uh, we need to, uh, uh, you need to put a, a stamp in here, your own address or Gaisley's address, so that people can refer back to you, Richard. And uh, this magazine has gone all over the world, and it, uh, it's already translated in French, we haven't had the money to print it in French yet, but we, we plan to do it very soon. Now, <clears throat> I want you today to turn to your Bibles to <clears throat> Ephesians, the sixth chapter. It says in the 10th verse, <clears throat> I'm going to read it in the King James, and then I'm going to read it in the Amplified. The Amplified uh, has some, some, um, some thrilling thoughts with it, and I think that uh, I'd like to read it in both. As you notice, I preach out of the King James, but sometimes I do refer to others. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and on your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is of the word of God, the word of God praying always with prayer and supplication in, all, in, in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, if you you read it in the uh, Amplified, in which I have used in my book here, uh, well, the real Seventh-day Adventist plans, please stand up. <clears throat> Paul writes, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your, own, your union with him. Draw strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armored soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies, deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, 
contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotism, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit of forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your guard on the evil day of danger. And having done all that is that all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, and having on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude, and right standing with God, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit wheels, which is the word of God. Pray at all times, in every occasion, in every season in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Not beautiful? And so, as we come to the thoughts, friends, that we have come to a special hour in the world's history. There has never been a time like now, right today. Because when in Revelation it says the devil has come down to us with great wrath because he has what? But a short time. And we are seeing that he has done that now. Now, he has come down because, especially as the message of righteousness by faith is being preached now, he has kept that great message of God away from the church now for over a hundred years in all its beauty and all of its purity with all of its power, he has kept it away from the church, and that's why we're still in this world. But now he sees that all over the world that this message cannot be held down anymore. And so he's not concentrating on the Laodicean who sits placidly by in his pew and uh, just going to church paying tithe and doing what uh, the church asks him to do. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that he is now concentrating on all of us who are understanding this great message of righteousness by faith. Victory over every deficiency in our capitals. He realizes that this will destroy his kingdom. And he is angry with those that keep the commandments of God fully and have the testimony of Jesus Christ in their hearts. In, in 161, he says, Ellen White has this to say, the thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. 
if he can control the mind so that doubt and unbelief and darkness shall compass the experience of those who claim to be the children of God, he can overcome them with temptation. So it says here that the enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented, for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. So actually, the, the, the devil has, uh, is frantic. Uh, he's gone berserk because, you see, the devil is insane, totally insane. And uh, now that he sees that this great message, this message that God has empowered men all through the ages to preach, and there have been people in every generation that have understood this great message, and he has been able to keep this message from the Adventist church, and now he sees that it is breaking loose, he's frantic because he knows that it will bring to his kingdom the end of his kingdom. And he, he's going to do everything he can to defeat that marvelous truth that God has empowered and given to the Seventh-day Adventist church to preach to the world. <clears throat> now, as we begin to look at this, these statements, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his love. How can we be strong? So many of us here have talked, have told us that they have a problem. One day they can do it, the next day they can't. And this is the problem with the Seventh-day Adventist church and the Christian world all over. We find that people struggle to do it, and sometimes they can, but sometimes they can't. And how can we be consistent Christians? That is the question that we must answer this morning. How can we be consistent Christians on a, on a prayerful experience taking, always going heavenward? It says in uh, volume 3, uh, 393, that it says, So many fail of imitating that holy pattern because they study so little the definite features of that character. So many are full of, so full of busy plans, always active, and yet there is no time or place for the precious Jesus to be a close, dear companion. If they would refer every thought and action to him, asking, is this the way of the Lord, they would walk with God as did Enoch. So if you turn to the, the Desire of Ages 83, she says we should spend at least one thoughtful hour each day on the life of Jesus, especially on the closing hours of his life. Amen. And as I talked to you yesterday, that it is beholding Jesus that we become changed. There is a statement in which is found in the Ministry of Healing 492. And it says there that, see if I can bring it back to memory. It says that, um, how does that go? Maybe I better turn to it. I thought I had it memorized, and I've memorized it so many times, but this beginning has got away from me again. Uh, the... And that's strange. Ministry of Healing. Page 492. 
Yes. By beholding Jesus and talking of his love and perfection of character, we are changed into his image. By contemplating the lofty ideal that he has placed before us, we... Um, We are uplifted into pure and holy atmosphere, even the presence of God. When abiding here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates to all that come in contact with us. Isn't that beautiful? By beholding Jesus and talking of his love and perfection of character, we become changed into his image. By contemplating the lofty ideal that he has placed before us, we are uplifted into a pure and holy atmosphere, even the presence of God. And when abiding here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates to all who come in contact with us, friend. So it's by beholding Jesus that we are changed. And that is why we have failed so many, many times, is because we haven't taken time to behold Jesus. And as we, as we begin to see that the rest of this verse, this, these verses, it tells us then, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. My friends, his might is found in the Holy Spirit's power. Do you believe that? Amen. His might is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at the book Evangelism, on page... Uh, <laughs> Uh, evangelism on page uh, 701, we find this important statement. It says, The message will be carried not so much by argument, by this deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented. The seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. The publications distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence, yet many whose minds have been impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere, and the truth is seen in its clearness, and the honest children of God sever their bands that have held them, family connections, church relationships are powerless to stay them now. The truth is more precious than all besides. Notwithstanding the agencies combined against the truth, a large number take their stand on the, on the Lord's side. The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church is looked forward to as in the future, but it is the privilege of the church to have it now. Seek for it, pray for it, believe for it, we must have it, and heaven is waiting to be stopped. So when we... When we began to see here that it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That means that we must yield our will to God's will. Then our minds will be one with God's mind. Then our thoughts will be God's thoughts. And then our very life will be God's life. And then all the power that God has is your power to do everything that God has asked you to do. It says, by his perfect obedience, he made it possible.
for every human being to obey his commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united to his heart, the will is merged with his will, the mind becomes one with his mind, the thoughts are brought into captivity to him, we live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Christ Object Lessons 312. And then from Christ Object Lessons 97 and 98, it says true obedience is the outworking of a principle from within. So there has to be an outworking of your heart, your will, your mind towards God, and then God takes charge. So true obedience is the outworking of a principle from within This, my friends, the essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right, because all right doing is pleasing to God. Now, again from Desire of Ages, page uh, 668, it tells us all true obedience comes from the heart, and if we so consent... He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our heart and mind into the conformity to his will that when obeying him we'll be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find his highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through the appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. So when it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, it means that there has to be a total surrender of every thought, every word, every action of the soul. And then it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. <clears throat> How do you put on the whole armor? And what is that armor? That armor, my friends, is, is talked about here in the book Education. On the book Education on page 76 and 77. That's some of the uh, things broke loose off of my my little tabs have come loose and let me see if I can find it in this one In the book Education on page 76 and 77, here it is. It says, Christ came to this world with the accumulated love of eternity, sweeping away the exactions which have encumbered the law of God. He showed that the law is a law of love and an expression of the divine goodness. He showed that in obedience to its principles is involved the happiness of mankind 
and with its the stability, the very foundations and framework of all human society. So far from making arbitrary requirements, God's law is given to man as a hedge, a shield. Whoever accepts its principles is preserved from evil. Fidelity to God involves fidelity to man. Thus, the law guards the rights, the individuality of every human being. It restrains the superior from oppression and the subordinate from disobedience. It ensures man's well-being both for this world and for the world to come. To the obedient, it is the pledge of eternal life, for it expresses the principles that endure forever. So what we must understand, my friends, when we put on the whole armor of God, when we put on the whole armor of God, then the righteous law of God is our hedge, our protector. It, it becomes an impregnable fortress. As you read about it here in the book Desire of Ages, uh, uh, on page 324, it says the soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress which he holds in a revolted world and he intends that no authority shall be known but his own a soul thus kept in possession by heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan but unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ we shall be dominated by the wicked one it is not necessary for us deliberately to choose the service of the kingdom of darkness in order to come into its dominion we have only to neglect to ally ourselves with the kingdom of light if we do not cooperate with the heavenly agencies Satan will take possession of the heart and will make it his abiding place the only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. So when we surrender our will to God, we have the armor of God, and that armor of God is the righteous law of God, and we, it, it becomes an impregnable fortress around us because the devil can never tempt us now more than we're able when you have on that armor. Praise God for that. It says there is no temptation taken you, but which is common to man, for God is faithful and will suffer you, not suffer you to be tempted more than you're able, but with that temptation he will make a way of escape that you may be able to what? Bear it. If God has the will. So you, when God has the will, there's an impregnable fortress around you, and now the devil is limited to what he can do as long as you keep your will with God. Amen. Your mind is then God's, your thoughts is then God's, your life is God's, and now God says all my power belongs to you to keep from sin. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then it says in the 12th verse, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Friends, you and I have not even a glimmer of how the devil operates. You know, in the in testimonies to ministers, testimonies to ministers on page on page. Um, <clears throat> 472 the devil gives his plan of how to defeat the Seventh-day Adventist church listen to this we won't read all of it it's called the snares of Satan as the people of God approach the perils of the last days Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan of overthrowing their faith 
He sees that the popular churches are already lulled to sleep in his deceptive power. By pleasing sophistry and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, he directs his angels to lay their snares, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ and endeavoring to keep all the commandments of God. Says the great deceiver, we must watch those who are calling the attention of the people to the Sabbath of Jehovah. And it says, he goes on, and, and we must hold the minds of the people in darkness till the work is ended, and we shall secure the world and the church also. The Sabbath is the great question which is decide the destiny of souls. We must exalt the Sabbath of our creating. I will influence popular ministers to turn the attention of their hearers from the commandments of God at which the scriptures declare to be perfect. Law of liberty shall be represented as a yoke of bondage. Therefore, by working through the ministers, I can control the people according to my will. Then he goes on, though this is the devil talking. Ellen White recorded it for us. Those who disregard them shall be uh, driven out from the cities and villages and made to suffer hunger and privation. When once we have the power, we will show what we can do with those who will not swerve from their allegiance to God. We led the Romanist church to inflict imprisonment, torture, and death upon those who refused to yield to her decrees. And now at, that at, we are bringing the Protestant churches in the world into harmony with this right arm of our strength, and we f- will finally have a law to exterminate all who will not submit to our authority, when death shall be made the penalty of violating our Sabbath, then many who are now ranked with commandment keepers will come over to our Sabbath. But before proceeding to these extreme measures, we must alert all our wisdom and subject to deceive and snare those who honor the true Sabbath. We can separate many from Christ by worldliness, lust, and pride. They may think themselves safe because they believe the truth, but indulgence of appetite or the, of the lower passions will, which will confuse judgment and destroy discrimination will cause their fall. Go make the possessors of lands and money drunk with the cares of this life. Present the world before them in its most attractive light, that they may lay up their treasure here and fix their affections upon earthly things. Until the great, until the great decisive blow shall be struck, our efforts against commandment keepers must be untiring. We must present at all their gatherings and large meetings, especially our cause, will suffer much. And we must exercise great vigilance and employ all our seductive arts to prevent souls from hearing the truth and becoming impressed by it. I will have upon the ground as my agents, holding false doctrines mingled with just enough truth to deceive souls. I will also have unbelieving ones present who will express doubts in regards to the Lord's message of warning to his church. Should the people read and believe these admonitions, we would have little hope of overcoming them. But if we can divert their attention from the warning, they will remain ignorant of our power and cunning, and we shall secure them in our ranks at last. God will not permit his word to be slighted with impunity. If we can keep souls deceived for a time, God's mercy will be withdrawn, and he will give them into our full control. Now, friends, that's the great blueprint that the devil has for the Seventh-day Adventist people. And so when it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, we don't understand what the devil is doing today. We have no, not a glimmer of how uh, he has surrounded this tent. 
with probably uh, 10,000 demons. I don't know. But friends, you can be sure that there are more than double the guard of beautiful angels standing by to drag them back because if they weren't there, my friends, this, this tent would probably uh, burn like a, a, in, a, in, a, in a great flame. It would just go up. I mean, the devil wants to destroy everything that's here and you in it. And the only reason that we're safe day by day as we travel on the highways and the skyways and as we, as we go about our business, the only reason that we're safe is because God in his great love has put a double guard of angels. Because she says there that as we near the end, a double guard of angels will put around those that love the truth. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having all done all to stand. So, friends, we have to do everything we can to prepare our minds and our lives and our bodies to stand. And that is where the devil is hoping that we won't do. He's going to keep us so busy that we don't make the preparation. He's going to keep business affairs and taking care of the, just taking care of the family and keeping the roof over the head and keeping the food on the table. He's going to keep us so involved with the cares of this world that we don't make the preparation. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, friends, if we only knew how God wants to protect us with his word. Because, let me tell you, it says in the 15th, for your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, we must be willing and ready to go at any time to do God's bidding and his work. But the gospel of peace, my friends, is found in the word of God. You, you read in, uh, in 1 John, the 1 John, the, the third chapter, the 6th to the ninth verses. And it says, <clears throat> There whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, be not deceived. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And then it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For that purpose, the Son of God, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So, friends, when we, when we begin to understand this statement here in, the, in Ephesians, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, where she be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, the gospel of peace, my friends, comes to us when we are born again. And how are we born again? Let us turn... <clears throat> Over to the first Peter, the first chapter, and the the twenty uh, third verse, twenty second, twenty third verse. 
It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit under the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So as we begin to understand that we are born again, how? By the word of God. Now, do you see why the devil wants us to keep us so busy so that, we're, that we can't take time with the Word of God? Because he knows that if we get into the Word of God, that that's where God's people are born again. And you are born again every day in the Word. Learn over with me to John, the, the first chapter. And <clears throat> John, the first chapter in the 14th verse. And it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who is the word? Jesus is the word. And if you go up to the 12th verse, it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So as we begin to look at this, as we are born again by the word, then we understand that Jesus is the word. And when we are born again, then we have power to be the sons and daughters of God by the word. As you look at Hebrews, the fourth chapter and the 12th verse, it tells us very definitely there that the word of God is, 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 a, is sharp and uh, as a two-edged sword, piercing and even dividing asunder the, the, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when we begin to see that we must put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, because only part of the armor on the you are still vulnerable to the Satan. So you must have on all the armament before you are saved. And as we look at this statement in Corinthians... In the sixth chapter, it says, It says, Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, preparation, my friends, is the word. Preparation. It takes time, and that is what very few Seventh-day Adventists have, is time. Because the devil has kept us so busy with all the things of this world that we don't have time. But what we must do, if we're going to prepare, we must take the time. And that means that we're going to have to look at our schedules and understand that possibly most of us that have television are going to have to get rid of television because most of that have television are spending time. And time expended in television is time wasted. Amen. If you're looking for preparation, if you want the gospel of peace, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to be born again by the Word, you've got to take time with the Word. And that means, my friends, that every day there has to be time in the Word of God. Memorize it. I try to memorize every day. We have these memory cards, Spirit of Prophecy gems, and also the, the Bible promises. You, I carry these with me wherever I go, sitting on an airplane. I want to fill my mind up. 
with the word of God because that is my protection. That is my armament against the, against the wiles of Satan. And as long as I'm into the word, the devil doesn't have a chance. It's when I get out of the word, that's when the devil attacks, you see. And so your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Oh, friends, there's so few of us that really have faith. You know, I'm grateful to God that he brought me to Hope International because it sure taught me how to have faith. Because we spend about seventy dollars to $100,000 a month we don't have. And, you know, when you start spending that kind of money, I mean, uh, you better have faith. And you better be following the word of God and, and all the admonitions that God has laid out in the spirit of prophecy because you spend that money and you're not in faith. If, you don't, if you're not following God's word explicitly, you can get yourself in an awful lot of trouble in a hurry, let me tell you. But every month God pays the bills. Isn't that wonderful? Every month God pays the bills. I told one of my friends in the in the uh, leadership uh, in general conference once, you know, that it, I said, you men couldn't do that. But we do it. Praise the Lord. Amen. We can do it because we live by the word. By, by faith we believe that God answers our prayers when we follow the word. Amen. When we have the armament around us that we can do that because we have no reserves. Amen. We have no reserves. I mean, every month we have just enough money to pay the bills. And so we live by faith. But it is the faith of Jesus that we must have. Not our faith. Our faith isn't much good, you see. My faith deals with what I can see and touch and feel. When I get into my car, I turn the key. I got faith to believe it'll start. When I get to the stop sign, I push on the brake. I got faith to believe it'll stop or I wouldn't get in. That's human faith. But we need the faith of Jesus. You see, to understand that, that, you have to go back to Adam and Eve where they lost their faith. They lost their faith, my friends, and immediately they lost their righteousness. And when they lost their righteousness, they uh, lost their ability to love as God had made them to love. And you see them now quarreling among themselves. Adam says, it's your fault. And Eve said, no, it's the serpent's fault. And really, when she said that, she said it's God's fault because he made the serpent. Yes, so, you see, they lost their ability to love when they lost their trust in what God had told them. They believed a lie. <coughs> they believed a lie. And friends, before we can be restored in righteousness, we must first be restored in faith. Not our faith, but we must pray for his faith in us, to be restored in us. Because Adam and Eve were created with faith in them. Jesus' faith was put into them in their creation, but they lost that faith when they lost their trust in God. And because of that loss of trust, they lost their righteousness. They lost their ability to love as God made them to love. Now the restoration of man in the great plan of salvation must begin where he lost it. He lost it. He lost his righteousness because he lost his trust. So before we can have righteousness, we must have faith. We must be restored in Jesus' faith. And with Jesus' faith, then we can 
He can trust us with his righteousness, and then we can again love as he made us to love. Do you understand that? Do you see that? You can't have righteousness until you have the faith of Jesus. And the only way that you can get his faith is to be willing to be made willing to submit your will and mind to Christ totally and completely every moment of every day. And that means when he has the will, you don't sin because you're born again. Every day you have to be born again every day. You're not, you know, some of these evangelicals say, well, I was born again back there in 1972 or some other day. But you must be born every morning, reborn every morning you wake up. You must again give your will to God. That's the first thing I do every morning is give my will again to God so that God can again for that day have my mind so I can think his thoughts, so I can have the power to live his life. And then he says, I'll clothe you with the garment of my righteousness. I'll clothe you with the garment of his righteousness. And remember, that armament now is his righteous law. It surrounds you. It is an impregnable fortress. The devil can never now tempt you more than you're able. And with that temptation, God has promised a way of escape, and you will bear it as long as God has the will. And then it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So after you have gone and given your will to Jesus and you have the armament, the impregnable fortress is now yours. You cannot be tempted more than you're able. Now you have become a living witness to what God can do in fallen human beings. So it says, take... It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So immediately, my friends, you have become a witness to the power of God. When you take the sword of the Spirit, my friends, you have taken the word of God because it is in you now. The, The word is in you and you have been born again by the word. Remember, you're born again by the word. And it says, it says, whosoever... Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither known him. Whosoever commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. It says, whoever uh, committeth sin, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, because his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. So, Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel in all of its purity, in all of its brilliance. It's marvelous to know that, friends, you don't have to sin. But when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Right. We have an advocate with the Father, and immediately, if you make that mistake, if you have, in an instant, you have taken your will from God... And you have, in, in, a, in a presumptuous moment, have sinned, then instantly you confess. Amen. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and what? Cleanse you from how much? All unrighteousness. So right there, my friends, in that moment as you confess. Now, if you've lost your temper with someone, instantly you say, I'm sorry. And God takes you again right there. You give your will back to him. 
and you can keep climbing the ladder of salvation. But if you delay, if you're too proud to say, I'm sorry, and you just keep on going on and on, it means that you're coming down, down, down in your experience, and you'll have to come all the way to the bottom and start climbing all up again. But instant confession is so important when we are impatient, when we're unkind, when we've done something that demands a, an apology and a confession to, one, to confess our faults one to another, it says. And you confess your sins to God. And instantly God accepts you right there. And there you can keep on going, climbing higher and higher in your experience with Him. And so when we take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, instantly, my friends, you become a powerful witness to what God can do in fallen human beings. And this brings such joy and happiness and peace to the life, but it also brings a constant witness to the power of God in your life to others, and you're constantly telling others how great God is by the way you live. And the way you talk, and the way you dress, and the way you eat. Amen. So as we as we see, friends, that praying always the 18th verse with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunder with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, as you look at Romans 8, verse 26, Romans 8, verse 26, we read this, Likewise the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the, the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, friends, prayer is a mighty weapon in the hands of God's people in these final hours. It, prayer has been the, what has sustained God's people all through the ages for 6,000 years of the great controversy. We find that it is prayer and the word that has sustained his people. And the prayer has enabled men and women to walk to the stake and be burned. A prayer, my friends, has allowed millions of martyrs through the ages to go down into their into a, a horrible death. And friends, prayer is what you and I must have if we're to endure to the end and be saved. We must have that. Uh, that marvelous communication system that God has provided for us. We must pray like we've never prayed before. We must study like we've never studied before. Prayer is not a position only that you get into. Prayer is an attitude of the mind. Prayer is something that you begin when you give your will to God in the morning. And prayer is then practicing the presence of Jesus through the entire waking hours of the day. You are constantly aware that Jesus is with you. And as you walk through the day, your conscience is always alert to the temptations that the devil will bring to you. And instantly, when your uh, thoughts come into your mind that shouldn't be there, the conscience immediately is alerted, and those thoughts go right on through. You see, it 
Temptation is not sin until you retain the temptation and make it a sin. So, my friends, we must become, we must learn to pray like we've never prayed. Now, here are seven things that I pray for every day. First thing I do is to confess every sin. Anything that I have done, if I have been impatient with Betty, I, tr- I must make it right. Um, impatience was my greatest weakness because I want everything done yesterday. It doesn't happen that way. But impatience is my greatest weakness, so I must concentrate continually to overcome impatience. And so I must guard my, my tone of voice. And when I am tempted to be impatient, immediately the conscience comes and puts a guard there, and I, I stop before I speak most of the time. Sometimes I slip. But let me tell you, friends, the next thing that I pay for is that God will take my will today and make it his will that I might have his mind and think his thoughts and have that great armament of his protection of his righteous law. The next thing that I pray for is humility. I want the humility of Jesus in my life because the humility of Jesus is the key to power. You see, there is no power unless you have the humility of Christ. You see, there could not be a Pentecost until there was unity, but there could not be that unity until there was Jesus' humility. And there could not be that, that type of humility in God's disciples until there was Calvary. And that's why it's so important that we spend some time with Jesus every day, looking at his life and saying, God, I want to be like that. Help me to be like Jesus. Amen. <laughs> And then the next thing that I pray for is God will give me love for the word of God and the spirit of prophecy and wisdom to explain it to others. I pray that every day. And the next thing that I pray for is that God will give me love for others as Jesus loves them. And then I pray, God, give me love for my enemies. And God knows how many I have now. (laughs) But I pray for them by name. Because I don't want to see them lost. So we must pray for our enemies. We must pray for those that despitefully use us. It says having a good conscience. Whereas they that speak evilly of you as evildoers. May be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And so we must pray for our enemies. We must pray for for all people that we might be able to reach out and touch souls with the great power that God has imparted to those that love him with soul, mind, and spirit. The next thing that I pray for every day is that the Lord will give me the faith and the patience and the love of Jesus in my heart for all mankind. Oh, how I need his faith, how I need his love, how I need his patience. Here are the commandments of God. Here are they that keep the, here are they that have the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And then the last thing that I pray for is God, give me a double portion of Thy Holy Spirit today. 
how I need a double portion of that spirit to meet all the responsibilities that God has placed upon me. As I talk to people, I must not talk from a standpoint of what I think. I must always talk from a standpoint of what God thinks. That I might give the right, uh, the, the, the right counsel. And so I pray a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And then I pray God put a double guard of angels about me today to protect me from the enemy. Because if there's one man that the devil hates, I know it's Ron Spear. And I'm glad that he's mad and I want to keep him mad. Now, folks, as we look at these, as we look at this, we must understand that we're fighting an enemy that we can't see. But he's there. And he has one thing in mind, and that is to destroy you and destroy me and to destroy what we stand for. When we stand for Jesus, he wants to destroy our credibility. And so he's got his agents all over the world working to destroy the credibility of God's faithful, loyal, and obedient people. And our only hope of survival in this great hour now is to be sure that we have on the whole armor of God. Every day we must put on the whole armor of God. And as we do, it says, The followers of Christ know little of the plots which Satan and his hosts are forming against them. Great Controversy 5.28 In his rage, his rage increases. We do not realize... His power. Testimonies, Volume 1, 302. While men are ignorant of his devices, this vigilant foe is upon their track every moment. Great Controversy 508. And then as we begin to see, my friends, that we are fighting a foe that we can't see, but he is a vicious foe, and he has set himself to destroy every one of us unless we have the full armament of God, the righteous law surrounding him, becoming an impregnable fortress every moment of the day. And this, my friends, means that every day we must develop the character of Jesus. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in us, then he will, what? Come to claim us as his own. So, friends, the reason we're still here, we should have been gone a long time ago, is that God couldn't find enough people in the Seventh-day Adventist church that were willing to have the character of Jesus fully developed in them. But let me tell you, friends, I believe now as I go and preach this message around the world that God is finding them here and there. As we look at, at this group in this room today and what was here yesterday, and we think of all the Seventh-day Adventists in, in Britain, and we think of how this tent should be ten times this size, and, this, and that tent should be filled with people from all over, from Scotland, from Ireland, from the British Isles, from everywhere, to listen to the message that has been given in this place. But she says, only a few, only a few, Seventh-day Adventists will endure to the end and be saved. What a tragedy. To go to church all your life, to pay tithe, do all the things the church demands, and find out after you've done all those things for a lifetime that you've missed the entire uh, opportunity of salvation. You see there in, the, in, in, Rome, in Matthew 7, God is talking to Seventh-day Adventists. In Matthew 7, 
It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say in me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. My friends, that message is from Jesus to the Seventh-day Adventist Church today. Do you believe that? Many of our people are going to come at the last day and wonder what happened. Many of our people, the majority, she says, of our people are going to stand after the thousand years on the outside of the walls of that beautiful city of God and look up at the walls and see God's saints standing there and God and the Father and the Son enthroned above the city and yell out, God, you made a mistake. I should be there. And they say... Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name done cast out devils, and thy name done wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The saddest words that will ever be spoken. And so, friends, we can be assured today that we can be on the inside instead of the outside if we make the preparation. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We can be sure. We don't run around saying, I'm saved, but we can, in our hearts, we can be sure. Every sin is made right. That we have put on the whole armor of God. That we shod our feet with the gospel of peace. We put on the helmet of salvation. We have the complete armament. The righteous law of God is surrounding us, protecting us. God has our will. We, he has our mind. He has our thoughts. And then we speak his words, and we're clothed continually, day by day, moment by moment, with a garment of his righteousness. The devil can never tempt us more than we're able. We're justified, we're sanctified. And if death should overtake us, we can have the resurrection. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord. And friends, I challenge you now to go to your homes. And start making that preparation so you can become that living witness to what God can do in you and me in these final moments. Because I believe with all our hearts our days are numbered now. I believe that the probation is soon to close. The end will come suddenly, unexpectedly. As we read here in volume volume 5, I mean, volume 8, page, on page 37. It says, My heart is filled with anguish when I think of the tame messages borne by some of our ministers when they have a message of life and death to bear. The ministers are asleep, the lay members are asleep, and the world is perishing in sin. May God help his people to arouse and to walk and work as men and women on the borders of the eternal world. Soon an awful surprise is coming upon the inhabitants of the world, and suddenly with power and great glory Christ will come. Then there will be no time to prepare to meet him. Now is the time to give the warning message. And again from page 28, it says... The world is a theater. The actors, its inhabitants, are preparing to act their part in the last great drama. His purpose in regard 
to his rebellious subject will be fulfilled. The world has not been given into the hands of men, though God is permitting the elements of confusion and disorder to bear sway for a season. A power from beneath is working to bring about the great, last great scenes in the drama. Satan coming as Christ and working with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in those that are binding themselves and together in secret societies. Those who are yielding to the passion for confederation are working out the plans of the enemy. The cause will be followed by a fact. Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be prepared for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Soon it will happen, and you'll either be right or you'll be wrong. You'll either be saved or you'll be lost. And so, friends, I urge you now to take the time every day. Get up early in the morning. Take the spirit of prophecy. Read the conflict of the ages through again. Cross-reference your Bible. Every time Ellen White refers to a Bible text, go to your Bible, mark it, and cross-reference it with a page. When you then read Steps to Christ, Model Blessings, and Sanctified Life, greatest books ever written on how to live the Christian life. And then with that, read Gospel Workers and Testimonies to Ministers and Christian Service. And when you've done all of that, you'll have a ministerial course. You'll be prepared to be a witness for the power of God in your life. Apply it to your life. When you make a mistake, confess it immediately. And you'll find that you'll grow in strength every day. The precious, the precious message of righteousness by faith will become your personal experience. <coughs> and you and I will soon be able to enjoy eternity together. My wife says, <clears throat> I'm half nomad and the other half gypsy. She's on to me quite often about me going a little too strong, going too much, wearing myself out, she says. And I told her, I said, well, I promise I'll take the first 30 days off in heaven. <laughs> and then I'm going to start traveling with Jesus. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Start traveling with Jesus. Oh, how I'd love to be his witness. He'd introduce me to unfallen worlds and say, Brown Spear did it. He kept the law perfectly by my power. He did it. And through the endless ages, after we've lived a hundred billion years, I can still witness for Jesus that by his power, I did it. I kept the law perfectly. And friends, he needs us as witnesses today. And he needs us, witness, us as witnesses through eternity. Let's be his witness. What do you say? Amen. May God help us is my prayer. Amen.